we see the quad at Firmament College. It is empty, but not unquiet. A dull tumult echoing just off screen. The camera pans slowly away from the stately buildings and beautiful foliage until it arrives at a scene of bedlam and terror. The campus is surrounded by a legion of Vols believers. Thousands and thousands of people, sleek white plastic bands lashed over their eyes, all pushing forward in synchronicity. They teem through the buildings of the college like blood through veins. Their advance is not inexorable, however. At the edge of the quad, a ragtag force stands against them. A furious, desperate fight against a foe that cannot be harmed. At the fore of the melee are a pair of familiar figures, Zack and Brad, FC's most legendary bros. For years they've trained and sculpted their bodies, never expecting that one day they would actually have to put them to use. Clad in tanks ripped unironically and wielding twin hockey sticks, the duo work ferociously to beat back the encroaching horde. Next to them is Officer Wynn, teeth gritted, beads of sweat running down his exhausted face. He didn't remember the thrall of the consensus, not really, but deep down he knew something was wrong at that bridge. His sidearm useless against their supernatural protection, he white knuckles a riot shield as he pushes back bodies by the dozen. Down the line we see Vincent and Jonah, Remy and Misha, Spooky Jim and Dr. Tamina and more as they fight back, fiercely holding the line against the unrelenting pressure and outstretched hands of Vol's believers. They're only human though, and every so often one of them is pulled into the crowd. Behind the front line we see a gaggle of youths, outfitted with a mismatched assortment of toy weapons, slingshots and BB guns and nerf blasters. There's fear in their eyes, but mischief alights. Candy Kid Gavin holds out both hands and scrunches up his face in intense concentration. For a moment, there's nothing. And then little wisps of cotton candy appear in each palm, dancing like fluorescent flames. Rahul and his friends from Heights Middle take aim and fire, casting a volley of confectionery projectiles into the mob. Their targets are quickly mired in a molassesy miasma that slows them to a sticky crawl. As we move further back, we can see what they're defending. Firmament's residents, retreating by the hundreds towards the FC dormitories. Amidst the crowd, we see Fred, the Jackalope's master of logistics, shepherding folks through. Next to him is City Hall's finest, Phoebe, scribbling down a furious inventory of supplies and weapons. Anything that can help them hold on. As people file into Ponderosa Hall, we see the building is surrounded by the senior citizens of Firmament. Doris and Abner, Oliver and Tiffany, Janice and dozens more, all feverishly inscribing familiar sigils on the walls. Walking between them, the unflappable Ethel and her canine companion Gladys double-check every detail of the protection spell that Brandus had taught her almost a decade ago. No time to dawdle, dearies. It's the end of the world, not bingo night at Riverside Senior. And above the din of panicked retreat and bloodless battle, we hear a familiar voice call out. This moment that your heart pounds in, your stomach turns in, your ears ring in, your minds race in. This moment is the present, and the present has no heroes. The present has no heroes, 
Heroes are a fiction of history sculpted by priests and politicians and playwrights. A hero is a medium like paint or prose used by those who would weave a story about humanity. The present has no heroes. The present has only real people. Ordinary people. People with scars and sweaty palms. People with fear and doubt and uncertainty. People who have known mistakes and failure and will know them again and again and again. The present has no heroes and we need none anyway. You do not need to be a hero today. Ordinary people will carry this day. We standing here together will carry this day. Across realities, we see the theaters of otherwhere crumbling, color draining, facades faltering, figment denizens winking out of existence. A hundred worlds sputter out like dying flames. At the center of it all stands Avalon, drowning in mist. The shore is gone, the forest too. No registrum nor green knight to guard it. Just a single snow-swept sycamore, surrounded on all sides by the fog of oblivion. Against the trunk sits Morgana, so pale and thin she seems ready to fade away. She strokes Arthur's cheek absent-mindedly, and the king's eyes flutter open. He looks up at her and smiles, and she leans forward to kiss his pale, bloodied lips. I am afraid we are out of time, my love, she whispers, and the fog closes in. And we see the hereafter, its gleaming gates sundered and ruinous. The unending wall of silver that surrounds it has transformed into a maelstrom of shifting mercury, a tempest of celestial reckoning. Shapes course over its surface, hands and limbs and faces twisted in confusion and anguish as the plain around them falls to pieces. And in the shadow of this titanic storm, we see a single silhouette frail frame almost infinitesimal, watching intently through the jagged cracks in reality, as the last hope for three worlds hangs in the balance. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monster Hour. I am Quinn, your keeper of monster and mysteries. With me today are Hannah. Hannah! JR! The Crooked! No greetings necessary. Kyle. Hi, I'm Kyle the Monster. <laughs> How do we do this? <laughs> I'm Kyle the Monstrous. I play Alvin, the normal human podcaster. <laughs> Hi. Amazing. Hello. Uh, welcome. And Tio. If you don't know by now, you're never going to know. What's up? Let's go. You! <laughs> I play Constance the expert, but you know that already. You know. This would be a wild spot to start. Yeah, don't Jump do in. this. Don't do if this. If you're starting at this if episode, lost, please go back. Please rewind. Please go back. 60... You're going to be so confused. <laughs> rewind 61 episodes and start it's there. It's for your own good. Hey, uh, y'all want to play some Monster of the Week? Yeah! yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Let's hit it. Let's hit it. 
Ahead of you is this otherworldly structure that seems to defy the nature of reality itself. A thrumming amalgamation of disparate colors and elements that nonetheless appear exactly as it should be as you behold it. It seems to grow larger as you drink in its presence until you realize that you're actually being drawn closer to it. Not in any physical way that you can sense, but rather as though the distance between you is contracting across space and time. And within moments, you and your allies are standing just a stone's throw away. And Dorian looks around uneasily and says, You're right, that is quite unsettling. I mean, I was gonna go with fucked up, but yeah, unsettling's a more polite word for it. Shit's weird, man! When you're swimming in a sea of unsettling, how do you denote that something is on top of that more unsettling? It's like unsettling to the second degree. This is my particular brand, but I don't enjoy it this much when I'm not doing it. <laughs> I have to admit. Yeah. Welcome to the club. But also, big of you to admit that. If I had a gold sticker, I would give you one right now. They're usually for yeah. people who clean the bathroom on the right rotation, but I think it applies here too. I'm trying this empathy thing you humans are talking about. I'm not sure, but thought I'd give it a go since we all might die. Yeah. It also can give you a pretty good high if you like let it, you know, just hmm. just really soak in the praise. And yeah, it's good. It's good. I'm glad we're getting here. Are there any yes. doors or drawbridges? Would someone like to read or... a bad situation, perhaps? I was going to say, Quinn, <laughs> can I investigate a mystery? But perhaps read a bad situation is better. Also, I'm just now opening my reference sheets. Classic. Yay. A classic. There we go. Someone better be keeping track how deep into each episode this happens. <laughs> uh, it would have to be me because I've cut pretty much every reference. Never Listeners, you have no idea how many times this happens. What? You're putting out a false narrative of who we are, Quinn. <laughs> People are going to be expecting of us. Crisp well, narrative we, and competency. We yes, do, that's we not do, who we are. We do say at the top, a crisply edited podcast. Mm -hmm. We do. Yes, Constance, please do this. This is your thing. All right. Yes. I jump up and I do the sickest move ever. And then with the 11 that I just scored, I tell you what's oh, up. So what's up, Quinn? Shit. Okay. On a 10 plus hold three. I'm going to ask, what's our best way in to this a cathedral? Constance, I think that you can see after some observation that and, and Alvin, you asked if there's sort of a big opening. There is a large cavernous opening, uh, but you can see that it's maybe not your best approach. There are about a dozen of Vol's believers stacked up there, and occasionally bolts of prismatic lightning just kind of shoot out of it. So maybe not the best. Constance, as you are surveying the scene, you notice that the walls of this structure, this edifice, are moving, pulsing, almost like they're alive. And occasionally, you see these apertures open up, these gaps. And if you can get through one of those, that's probably your best way in, because they don't seem to be guarded. So what you're saying is that we can Kool-Aid man it through a semi-permeable sponge-like wall. I'm saying that the walls are opening and closing, and you wouldn't even have to Kool-Aid man. Undulating. Yes, undulating is an excellent mm -hmm. word. Ha -ha. Like other Cross your fingers and hope structure. it doesn't close on you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, that's always the case. Okay, great. 
I point and I go, we're going to do that. That's usually not the case with walls, if we're being honest. <laughs> I mean, look, again, the level of weird, there's a new baseline. Um, I point and I go, that's our way in, folks. And then before we do that, I want to see if there are any dangers that we have not noticed. I think the danger that you haven't maybe noticed or considered or as a fan of your characters, I'll just point this out with this question. There's seemingly no rhyme or reason to how these apertures are opening and closing. So you'll need to either figure out what the pattern is or be very careful Mm -hmm. entering. Otherwise, you're going to get separated, trapped and or cut in half as these walls close. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. a Zelda timing puzzle. Mm-hmm. All right, excellent. I'm pretty sure I saw this in the Ocarina of Time. I, I got this, guys. I got this. And I crack my knuckles. And like, and You just need the Triforce. <laughs> yep. Just to be inclusive, there's also a version of this in Crash Bandicoot Warped for those Ooh. who do not partake in Zelda. It's a platforming game now, is what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I have one more. What? Hmm. What's most vulnerable to me seems kind of a strange one here. Um, you could also hold mm-hmm. their okay. holds. You could also hold it if you want yeah. to do further investigation or, or take some action. Sweet. But once we go through the wall, it's no longer relevant, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once you get inside. Okay, I'm going to hold one and probably forget that I have it. So here we go. All right. Let's go through those holes. <laughs> <laughs> Alvin paces up and down the wall. Okay. Are you observing, Alvin? Alvin is an angry coyote right now and kind of confused at the holes. He's kind of waiting for a group signal and he can jump a group of people in at once. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, let's let's limit our variables here. How small of of separate groups can we create here? I mean, I don't think Alvin's going to... Alvin will barely fit through by himself. Mm. Oh, okay. he's not going to be able to carry people through. Okay. Black Maybe Beauty's one not person be able if to they get like through. cling on to my underbelly fur. But Alvin, are you, you said you're you're heading up and pacing along the, the side of the structure. Yeah, just trying to get kind of a sense of if there's different tempos, different places, if it's all uniformly chaotic yeah. or if this wall stretches on for infinity. Alvin, I'm going to give you an oops. Ooh. Aha. Hey, it's probably your last one of the game. Hey. Alvin, as you trot up to this shifting, living, breathing wall, you see that one of those apertures opens <gasps> and it stays open. <gasps> and as you get closer, those visions of your family on the farm intensify. This edifice is responding to Val's corruption within you. Mm. It will open for you. How? Ooh, special boy. I go over to him because the, boy the howl is like a lassie call to me. <laughs> What's that, Alvin? There's yeah. apertures in the building. <laughs> Leon and Sarah are stuck in the well. It Kind of, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I walk over to you. Yeah, I think your group seeing this twisted cathedral, this former CNL building, open for you, Alvin. I think everyone kind of forms up behind you i was actually gonna have them go in in front because i yeah sorry i mean i think they just kind of gather around sure sure i don't know how confident i am that if i pass through it will remain open you're essentially like the sensor in a key fob right now you just have we just have to wave you next to the thing and then all of us go in (laughs) and then you jump Mm -hmm. okay i would like to use my hold now (laughs) what's the best way to protect the victims the victims being us of this potential 
uh, doomsday-esque situation? I mean, the obvious answer, a classic answer would be to leave, but I won't. Talk oh about my that. I won't say that to you. <laughs> Constance, the best way to protect the victims is to make sure everyone is inside before Alvin comes through. If he's what's sort of holding this open, you're going to need to make sure everyone's inside. You don't want anyone to get separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will also say, now that you figured out why these gaps are opening in this wall, it probably means that when it's happened previously, it's been following one of Vol's believers who's walking the internal of this structure. Oh, yep. yeah. Oh. So it's not great. Stay mm. away from those. Mm-hmm. I see. Cool. Okay, everyone line up single file in front of Alvin. I um, refuse to go back down onto the ground. So I'm just very lightly hovering above the ground. It takes a lot more effort, but. <laughs> Tempted to make you roll act under pressure, but I won't. Yay! <laughs> Constance, you with some difficulty, uh, hover through this opening into the remnants of CNL. The inside of this building looks like an M.C. Escher painting. The doors and passages and hallways twist and bend. You can see several that lead to nowhere in particular, doors that swing open into walls, passages that end abruptly, pathways that seem to defy the laws of gravity. And all of it is composed of this mishmash, this amalgamation of organic and synthetic blended together, and all of it is moving. Mostly slightly, almost infinitesimally, but all of it is moving. This place is alive. Gross. I have a sense that it's sticky. Parts of it. Yep, yep. Not all of it. But yeah, I feel like you step on a patch of coral-colored glass, and instead of being springy, it's sticky, and you have to like pry your foot away. Okay. Museum rules, everyone. Don't touch. Don't touch. I have already touched five things. I figured. That's why I was... (laughs) I look at you as I say that. JR, as you touch things, some of them shrink. Some of them embrace you. The texture (laughs) is wildly varied, and many things do not feel the way you think they should feel based on their appearance, it is profoundly unsettling. I'm sorry, Constance. You want me to forgo this wonderful visual, tactile experience where this desk that I'm touching right here is fuzzy. It's a fuzzy desk. It's a good desk. And the desk like purrs a little bit. I'm like, yeah. Almost like when you pet a cat and it arches its back, Mm -hmm. the desk seems to respond to you. Yeah, the desk is my friend, but fine, fine. I'll follow your stupid rules about that's a good desk. And I give it like one last pat. There's a thrum as you do so. The desk is then bowled aside by Alvin, who comes charging through the door at last in line. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think everyone's filing in behind you. And and eventually, Alvin, you're the only one left outside. JR, I'm just just looking out for your suit. You know what's going to happen to your suit in here. I'm just saying. There's nobody that can prevent what's going to happen to this suit. That's fair. So, you know. I would like to try something. Sure. I would like to close my eyes and visualize walking into a room where my mother is. I'm visualizing the details of what this room would look like inside the cathedral. I'm like... I'm essentially the secreting it. (laughs) But yeah, I want to like as vividly as I can picture this and be fully focused on it. Does anything happen? No. Okay. Constance, you try this and you feel abruptly stymied. 
like locked out of that magical humidity that you've been accessing since you stepped into the paracosm. Interesting. Hey, Dorian, do you have any sense of where we should go? And I give the desk one more little pat. Dorian, along with I think everyone, are kind of looking around in a combination of bewilderment and wonderment. And he turns and, and looks at you and says, JR, I have seen a great many things, but I have never in my life seen something like this. Never seen a furry desk? Okay, that's fair. Well, I have seen a furry desk, but the entirety of this space, unfortunately, I I know as much as you do. All right. Well, I appreciate your honesty. That's how we make this journey together as, you know, if not friends, co-workers. Yeah, mm. in the... In the fight against Augie. Yeah, we're (laughs) co-workers. As Uh, you all are experiencing this space, uh uh you hear the sound of footfalls approaching from one of the myriad pathways leading from this open chamber. You want to just pick a different pathway? I'm not particularly interested in in a fight right this second. Same. We go the opposite. We run away from your puzzle, Quinn. Everyone give me a roll to act under pressure. Now, Quinn, that's 2d6, right? Plus, uh... Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's Wild, my I d20. Know. Okay, great. No, actually, we're switching to d20s for the finale. <laughs> d20 for the finale. Now we all have spell books. <laughs> yeah. Mine's a nine. Now, I know I ask every time, but Quinn, this is probably oh. as weird as a weird act under pressure can be. Every act under pressure in the paracosm, <laughs> you can use your just another day move, Alvin. Oh, yeah. It's Take that awesome. one to the bank. It's just another day for Alvin. Um, I would like to, uh, to use my I've read about this sort of thing. And where, where on earth did you <laughs> read about this? Art history was- book on... Escher, on clearly. MC Escher, that's actually pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I was actually gonna have how to avoid having to talk about MC Escher at an art show as a pamphlet. Oh my god. <laughs> MC Escher comes up quite often in the art community. So Constance has picked up uh, a pamphlet, how to avoid talking about MC Escher while at your local art show. And essentially, it shows you three or four ironically very M.C. Escher-esque ways to Mm. divert attention and walk away oddly from someone who is trying to engage you in a conversation about M.C. Escher. Look, no shade, but like, been there, done that. We get it. And who's the author of this pamphlet? Oh, the author of this pamphlet is Reshter. C.M. Nesher. Yes. C.M. It is C.M. Nesher. And Rester CM. They ironically met when they both ran into each other while trying to avoid two separate conversations about MC Escher that were happening in the same space at the same time. <laughs> oh, it's very tough. People say love is dead. And there's no such thing as fate. <laughs> oh, you just have oh. to find it. That's so romantic. 10. Alvin and JR, you both got a mixed success. Mm-hmm. Uh, here is the choice that I will present to each of you. Mm hmm. Either you are going to get away before the source of these footsteps arrive, but you're going to leave some of your allies behind. (laughs) Your allies will get away, but you will have to stay behind to create a distraction. Or both of you can escape, but you're going to get separated. Oh. Or I suppose you could also all choose to stay in the space. That's also an option. I'm down for being a distraction. I don't want to split the party. If I say I get away, but I leave somebody behind... 
can the person that we leave behind be Alvin, or does it have to be a different no, person? No, some members of the Daylight Society, God specifically. damn it. And then there's the option of just, like, everybody staying. I say we either stay to defend, or we all stay. But Constance, you still got away. Well, I can choose not to. Yeah, Constance could choose to stay if she wants. Okay. Since I did have the option to get away, can I say that I do a backflip and go, psych, in the air, you know? <laughs> sure. And then, sure. Okay. and now nice. I'm hovering next to you both. Constance right. runs along a pathway that <laughs> kind of like does like a, a slow curve up to like 90 degrees, and then she does a backflip matrix style and lands and says, psych. Exactly. Uh, and as she does this, the source of those footsteps appears in one of the many openings to this room. In front of you stand three people with sleek white plastic bars over their eyes, sort of slimmed down version of the Imagine Labs headsets. And immediately they begin walking towards you. Do we recognize them? Uh, not all of them, uh, but let's say one of them is Charles. The head of security at CNL. Okay, mm-hmm. I was like, oh God, I don't you know remember what? Charles. Fuck Charles. <laughs> so. I remember Charles. Well, Fuck hold on. Charles. Hold on. If we know enough about him, we can snap him out of it. But I think I Kyle. I don't think so. We've never been. <laughs> that hasn't been established. No, but we, as this was starting to happen to our group, we were able to somewhat slow it down. I mean, we don't know, but. That's true. We don't know. I think we just have to. Well, now we're together, we could barrel these guys to the side and run. Charles can eat an entire bag of rocks for all I care. <laughs> he was a jerk and I don't like him. To be fair, weren't you breaking into his place of employment? Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he um doing his job? <laughs> but sure, we sh- fine. She- fine, if we want to, uh, it's fine with me. I'll jetpack right on through. <laughs> So these three are fanning out, approaching your group. I think the more combat-oriented members of your allies, Galvan, Pax, Dorian, are forming up, ready for a fight. Uh, What do the three of you do? I will be a bowling ball and clear a path to an exit that we want to take. I will come behind you as a bat. I have a magic gun. That metaphor doesn't really fit into any sports (laughs) analogies, but I can shoot people with a magic gun. I can also shoot people with a non-magic gun. Actually, I guess if we're in a magical place, all guns would be magical. So I have two magic guns. That's fun. Uh, I just want to note that I'm not confirming that as the keeper. That is not canonical. (laughs) I shoot the not magic gun and like a stream of color comes out. And Uh, and you shoot the non magical gun and a bullet flies towards one of these three and it explodes just a centimeter from her into a cloud of confetti. Uh, Alvin, you are barreling (laughs) forward. Give me, I think, give me a no limits. I, I don't think you're actively protecting someone right now. I think you're wreck it Ralph style, mm-hmm. just sort of bowling on through here. So give me a, a no limits roll. Okay. That is a 10. On a 10 plus, your body obeys your will to the limits of physical possibility. Alvin, what does it look like as you knock a path through Vol's believers? I think he bounds up, grabs one in his giant maw. And while spinning around, kicks the second one and uses the first one to knock the third one off their feet. Okay. Alvin, like a wrecking ball, you you just level this group. And they are knocked aside, but they are not knocked out. 
almost immediately, the wounds, any damage that you inflicted, just begins healing over, and they start to stand back up. I think as you clear this path, your allies, the Daylight Society members, begin to follow. Constance, you were being a, a bat? Yes. Do you need me to what explain What does that? that yeah. Um, like a baseball bat or like a... <laughs> elaborate on flap, that. Flap, flap, flap. Flap, flap, like, flap. Oh, no, no, no. Like a baseball oh, bat. Okay. <laughs> you <laughs> do I mean, have you a jet set. In the air, yeah. You are so flying. You, so you can be a bat. You can be a bat. I'm assuming that this world is slightly cartoonish. So if Alvin is a bowling ball where he essentially becomes like a ball of fur barreling towards them, I am like a bat. I am a tall, vertical, floating object barreling towards them as well. And my thought was that as I get closer, I start to spin so that I'm like spin kicking as I fly through them. Hmm. Okay. Uh... Yeah, give me an act under pressure <laughs> to do this wild aerial maneuver with your jetpack. Hell yeah. I know what I'm doing with this thing now. I've had it for a total of what? How long have we been in this? 30 minutes? A half an hour. Time is an illusion. Well, hey, diggity dog dog. That is a nine. Okay. Did you think that was going to okay. be a bad thing? It started bad and then it... it I've... <laughs> Giving up trying to tell with Tio. Like I just Same. I just wait for the number. Yep. Well, because I have a number I imagine it is in my head, and when it's not that number, I'm disappointed. <laughs> oh, even if it's so good. It's more way more often. Yeah. <laughs> uh on a seven to nine, I will give you a worse outcome, a hard choice, or a price to pay. I think you can get through, but you're not really going to actually hit anyone with your aerial <laughs> maneuvers here. You're just gonna kind of swing wildly and, and perhaps a bit foolishly. So I'm like a little league batter. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can hit a bunch of these folks and distract them, but one of them is going to grab you and that you'll face the consequences there. Or you can hit a bunch of these folks and distract them, but one of them is going to grab your flamethrower jetpack. They can grab me. They are going to take this thing off my cold dead body. Okay. Uh, Constance. They do. <laughs> Yeah, they do. Uh, you sail through in Alvin's wake, flitting in between members of the Daylight Society who look terrified as you do this. Um, you just whip by them with like the most, I would say precise, but narrow margin is, is perhaps a better descriptor. You clobber the first of false believers that is just beginning to stand back up. You sail into the second one and deliver this wild spinning kick and you collide with the third one and you slam him into the wall, but it doesn't it doesn't hurt him. And he raises both his hands and places them on your temples and says, I want you to believe in a better world. And I need you to roll plus the stat that best exemplifies the strength of your character. Well, I think we said this was sharp. Yeah. And this is where mind games are a little silly to try to play on Constance. <laughs> also, you don't know what a better world means for me. Maybe it means all of this is gone. Yeah, that's going to be a solid 10. What's up? Ooh. What do you want? Boom. I spit in their face. No, I'm kidding. What do you want me to do? You should do that, though. You no, sure you should kidding? definitely spit in their face. <laughs> I think I would headbutt them more than I would spit in their face. Yeah. Constance, you headbutt this person standing in front of you. And the headset that they're wearing kind of like cracks a little bit and then almost immediately repairs itself, much like their body seems to be doing. And you feel like this splitting migraine, almost like a piece of your skull is missing. As this happens, 
The rest of you see a golden-tipped spear sail through this battle. <gasps> and it strikes the one that is holding Constance square in the headband. Fuck. Yes! 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 And that thing shatters. The person who is holding you, Constance, goes limp and falls to the ground. <gasps> and you can see their wounds what? healing over, but that headset is not. <gasps> they are just laying there in a catatonic state as this golden spear is pushed out from their flesh and falls with a clang to the ground. Mm-hmm. And across the battle, you see Georgiana. Yeah! Nice. She has a long three-pronged gash or the scar of one. It's like pink and puckered. It looks like it's freshly healed over. That's running down the length of her face and clavicle. Standing next to her is Mr. Blue. And as he stands there, you can see a piece of this strange building pull away and sail towards one of these other Cyclopean beings. And rushing through the members of the Daylight Society who are hurriedly catching up to you, Alvin, is Eve holding a piece of twisted rebar that is glowing with this faint illumination. And she clobbers the one that Mr. Blue just hit and destroys their headset as well. And Alvin, stepping up beside you, holding a baseball bat that is glimmering with magical energy, is Leon. <gasps> the real Leon. <gasps> so bad. much cooler than the one that was envisioned. Alvin spits a couple bits of clothing or whatever that was from the person who was in his mouth a second ago and just bounds up to Leon across the battlefield, skidding to a, a halt, this giant coyote in front of Leon. He kind of like leans down and gives a big a couple sniffs. As you bound towards him, he glances to the side and throws that baseball bat and clobbers the last of the three enemies. And his gaze turns back to you, and he smiles. Big, broad, Leon smile. And he throws his arms around you. There's a fairly rapid transformation as Alvin reverts back to full human Alvin form. Aww. And he gives Leon a big hug. And then kind of like, through some tears, says... You're so much better with that bat. I've been practicing for the Home Run Derby. I knew I'd have to do it sometime. Well, we're at the All-Star game now. Oh. Yep. <laughs> Alvin, I I thought we were going to stop him at the unveiling. I I thought we'd have so much more time. I, and, and then everything happened, the paracosm, the sphere. I didn't know what happened to you. And after I saw what happened, to, I just didn't know if you would be okay. As he's blubbering and, and talking, I just kiss him. <gasps> And for a moment, he's just frozen. And then he kisses you back. Never give up. Never surrender. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you went there. (laughs) Constance has tears in her eyes. Jared does a wolf whistle. (laughs) Hey. <laughs> that's yeah. That's inappropriate <laughs> to say to a wolf. Fine. Wolf whistle a canine. <laughs> I don't know how much time we're gonna have, but I don't want to go one more minute without you and without this. I'm never leaving your side again. Have you seen Sarah? His smile fades. And you can see Constance as Georgiana is approaching you. She grimaces at the mention. Mm. And that three-pronged scar on her face suddenly looks all too familiar. Uh Oh, no. 
Alvin, maybe you should sit down. I sit down awkwardly as I would if I were still a dog. <laughs> it's a little heavy. Thump. Eve and Georgian and Blue gather around Leon, and I think everyone else does too. And he starts to tell you what happened. How the sphere unfolded around them, and the army of Vol's believers combed the place, looking for anyone and everyone inside to incorporate into their movement. And eventually they left, giving him and Eve and Georgiana and Blue time to scout this area out. There's only a few left, a few left to guard the Cabal. But they have a much more formidable guardian. Sarah is trapped in her grisly form, and there is no sign that she remembers any of them. Worse, Leon continues, the Cabal seems to be protected by the same magic that is protecting Vol's believers. But unlike them, destroying the headset doesn't incapacitate them. Magical weapons can cause harm to those who have Vol's protection, but the Cabal aren't wearing headsets. Georgiana chimes in and says, Yes, I managed to lodge this, and she swings the spear several times, in Magda's chest, but it didn't do any good. As soon as I pulled it out, the wound closed over. We barely made it out after Sarah found us. Does she have a headset? There's no indication she has one. She's in her grisly form. Grisly form. Okay. Blue chimes in at this point. Seems more likely that the magic is overpowering. For someone who's never experienced something like this, I can only imagine. Georgiana, I'm terribly sorry for my sister's actions, but the good news is that I think I can help her. That is good. It would be a significant boon if we could avoid having to fight her while we try to tackle the Cabal. I was stuck too. And I'm not saying the answer is everyone kiss Leon. We could try. I mean, we could try it. <laughs> Look, there Leon, are no I bad ideas. Leon, some eyes. <laughs> Leon blushes more bashfully than I think you have ever seen him <laughs> and rests his arm on, on Alvin's shoulder and says, sorry, everyone. There's only one person I want to smooch here. It's not entirely a <laughs> Princess in the Frog situation, but earlier there's, I nearly was overcome by the magic of this place, but I've learned some techniques. Well, Alvin, I... This is possibly the weirdest statement I've ever made, and that's saying a lot, given I'm, our I'm the life myself. that we lead. I think Sarah's Leon kiss is hugging you. Does that make sense? Get what I'm getting at? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The real magic was friendship or love or an endless supply of bath bombs, as opposed to, like, magic magic. Yes. Anyway, Alvin, you should go give your sister a hug. Dorian looks around, a bit sort of brooding, maybe a bit surly, and finally chimes in. This is all well and good. Uh, and I think Leon notices him for the first time, and a storm cloud sort of passes over his face. And Dorian's <laughs> continuing. This is all well and good, and Alvin, if you can... Address your sister without us having to fight her even better. I suppose I would take you in a fight, but better if you don't have to get your paws dirty. I think we have a bigger problem, though. 
if the cabal is impervious, as they say, mm -hmm. then we need a way in. Or we need one of them to flip. Mm -hmm. Okay, so who do we have in the cabal? We've Stand got me. Magda, unlikely to flip. Well, I haven't talked to her yet. Ooh. <laughs> Agival, maybe. Gone straight <laughs> to the top. <laughs> folks, folks. Speaking as a fellow airborne entity now. Yes. Yeah, there's no one going back the for him. Yeah, yeah, one with the yeah. air. There is, yeah. There's no going back for him. Uh, this is the life. He's chosen it. I get it. That's I'm going to go yeah. ahead and write him off. Sure. Um, we can come well, back. We can circle around. There's only so many in the cabal. I will, I got to try with my mom. Georgiana, I, first of all, mad respect that you threw a spear at her. Very proud of you. She had it that. coming. She absolutely did. And you know what? I'm so sad that you weren't around when I was growing up because we seem to see eye to eye on a lot of things. It's great. I have been thinking a lot about how I could turn her, but that is my cross to bear. If folks have someone else in mind, by all means, let's do that too. The only other person that I think we have an angle with turning is Stoney, because I do not think this is what he had in mind when he signed up for this. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Maybe I get there and he's like, no, no, JR, I fucking love furry desks <laughs> and <laughs> shit. I think the furry uh, yep. desks are not the problem. <laughs> yeah, but Stony Stony's unsure about everything, but oh, the furry desks really put it over the top. <laughs> we tip the scales. Galvan looks around and says, we can try our best to stop, incapacitate, kill if we have to, the other three, but it doesn't sound like that has been successful thus far. If you three can focus on the chief and Magdalena and Alvin, keep your sister away from the rest of us. That seems like a plan. Yeah, if we can get a few key pieces to turn or at least stand down, that might buy us time to get this ritual off the ground. Oh, by the way, Leon, I said never, ever give up, never surrender. Yeah, we got a cool ritual plan. We're going to put all this toothpaste back in the tube. But in a better tube. Yeah. I mean, I figured you all wouldn't come in without a plan. <laughs> uh, and yeah. Eve and Georgiana and Mr. Blue all like roll their eyes, but Leon looks earnest. Aw, Leon believes in us, even when the rest of you guys don't, so does, <laughs> thank you, Does Leon. Mr. Blue have any reaction to Dorian being here? Or is that, like, not even an issue at this point? Is that how weird the world has gotten? I think Blue and Dorian are eyeing one another. Dorian with sort of, like, a, a mild amusement, almost like one would look upon a toddler, <laughs> uh, and Mr. Blue much more warily. Okay. They probably were at different years at high at Otherware High School. <laughs> yeah, suffice to say. <laughs> different cliques, different, you know. Yeah, different classes. Okay, I know we've been faffing about a lot, but I, uh, I do need to do this because it is in character. I think at this point, Constance bear hugs both Mr. Blue and Georgiana because as far as she's concerned, that's her aunt and her uncle, and that's the family that she likes. <laughs> Constance, careful bear hugging Georgiana right now. <laughs> Oh, yes, yeah, a sensitive yeah. topic. Oh, yep. yeah, hey, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh um, I'm back. Human form, baby. <laughs> all the quips. Leon um, Leon gets out his phone and hits the air horn app several times. Yeah. Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> it's like, man, the internet might not work, but 
This thing is a godsend. <laughs> Wonderful. Love it. We love it. Love Battery's less forever here. It's really not a bad place. Constance, Georgiana, your aunt embraces you fully. And as she does, reluctantly, but warmly, so does Mr. Blue. See this, Dorian? This will be you in a couple of months. Yeah, You'll see. You'll see. Okay. <laughs> I'm he, done. he rolls his eyes, but he also smiles a little bit. Yeah, I'm making. All friends. right, let's uh, let's put our skates on. We've got some influencing to do. <laughs> hey, folks, Quinn here. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode sixty-two of Monster Hour. I've been a little cautious about saying exactly how many episodes we have left in case things slipped with the busyness of a new baby, but with where we're at in production, I am both excited and feeling very bittersweet to announce that this is not just part one of the finale, but the penultimate episode of this season. The next episode will be the end of this campaign. I'll save all my big feels and gratitude for the finale, but I do want to offer a huge thank you to everyone who has helped spread the word about the show by leaving us a rating and review, giving us a shout on social media, and recommending the show to a friend. Truly. I know I say that every episode, more or less, but we would not be where we are today without each and every one of you who shared the show and brought new folks in to listen. Obviously, there are no more new characters to name, but as we head towards the finale, we would love to hear about your favorite monster, your favorite moment, your favorite twist. Whatever you enjoyed about this campaign, share it with us using hashtag MonsterHourPod so that we can relive those moments and make one last big push for all the folks out there who haven't heard about the real monster yet. While we're on the topic of thank yous, I also want to give a special shout out to our newest Patreon supporters, Joe and Charlia, and to all of our patrons for supporting the show. Beyond making Season 2 possible by bringing an editor on board now that my little monster has arrived, Patreon donations help support our hosting costs, upgrade our recording equipment, and bring you awesome bonus content, like the stats and lore for the monsters for all four of our NPC origin episodes. If you too are interested in supporting the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash monster hour or follow the link in the show notes. Finally, to show our gratitude for you all as this season draws to a close, we are doing a special pre-finale giveaway over on Twitter. We have not one, not two, but three sets of dice encased in bath bombs that are also shaped like giant dice. If you too want to enjoy some peace and quiet with a relaxing soak just like our hunters, and come away with a new set of dice for your next game, head over to our Twitter account for the details on how to enter and win. That's all I've got for you this week, folks. We will return with the season finale of Monster Hour on November 23rd. The three of you and your allies make your way through the cathedral, through the twisting passageways and strange portholes. At times it feels like the path you're following twists, rotates, and with it, gravity does as well. But eventually, Leon, Eve, Georgiana, and Mr. Blue lead you to an opening. Not to the outside, but somewhere else. Ahead of you is a large open space, enclosed on all sides by these ever-shifting walls. A cloister at the center of this surreal cathedral. Trees formed from lurid gaseous clouds and hardened light ring the exterior, 
The chromatic surface of the ground bubbles and shifts like a confused chameleon caught in a storm of color. Orbs of light, just like those from the plane of memory, dance capriciously through the space without regard to gravity. And at the center of this bedlam is a strikingly familiar sight. A stage on which stand five people. Five members of the Cabal. Chamberlain, Eklund, Moriarty, Stoney, and Magda. They're arranged in a circle, each with one hand pointing up towards the sky, and the other out towards the edge of the paracosm. Flowing through them is a frenzied bolt of prismatic lightning, emanating from that singularly brilliant point of light floating high in the sky above you. Encircling them, pacing manically to and fro, is a behemoth of a grizzly bear. Leon looks at the three of you, and Alvin takes your hand and squeezes. Are we ready? Gives a nod, looks at Leon and says, don't worry, we're family. All right, let's rock and roll. You and your allies plunge into this open space, and the Daylight Society Plus begin to fan out, and you can see them start laying siege to Moriarty, Chamberlain, and Eklund. There's gunfire and bludgeoning and blades, and you see them flinch in, in startled shock at your your sudden presence here. And these wounds, these these bruises, these breaks blossom over their body, but almost immediately they heal back up. And the weapons that many of your allies are using, those that are not magical, just evaporate, disintegrate as soon as they make contact with these bodies. Mm-hmm. Alvin. As soon as you approach, you see Sarah's grisly form, muscle, and power lock eyes with you. Yeah, I approach and I, I transform full coyote. She eyes you warily and roars. I think say, sister. Alvin, you reach across this space, this plane of subconsciousness, and you feel your sister's mind and it is swirling with magical energy raw and overwhelming and as you do this she begins to lope towards you i'm going to cautiously with like head low how canines tend to cautiously approach things there with a readiness to leap in any direction but cautiously also come up to her sarah little cub what do you hear she has quickened her pace stampeding towards you, closing the distance quickly. You can feel the strength of her footfalls as her paws strike the earth. And her mind just continues to be this swirl of chaos. And I think you can tell as she gets closer and as you understand this space better, the feel of magic is different here. It's not that humidity, that thickness that sticks to your skin. It's like a current through the air, charged and wild, and it's, it's making it harder for you to reach her. And as you realize this, Alvin, she is on you. I need you to to make a roll to act under pressure here to avoid getting just demolished by her. Yeah. Just kind of set set it up. As she gets close, if she comes charging at generally me, I think Alvin is going to try to kind of avoid and nip at her back legs, hoping maybe a little bit of pain might kind of clarify her thoughts. Yeah. Oh, hot damn. 13, Quinn. Woo! Okay. That is an very, advanced actor under pressure. Very nice. Okay. 
On a 12 plus, you can choose to do what you wanted and something extra or do what you wanted to absolute perfection. I definitely give you the nipping at her ankle to draw a little bit of blood here Mm -hmm. if you wanted that. That's great. The other something extra would be trying to navigate in a way that draws her away from everybody else. Sure. You can pick either one of those. Up to you. I'll draw her away a little bit because I think sometimes a little bit of pain just kind of helps clarify your thoughts a little bit. But in this space with this current, this high current of magical energy, that may not be quite the right time yet. So I'm going to try to dodge and navigate in a way that draws her further away from the Cabal and the rest of the Daylight Society. So you nimbly dart out of Sarah's way. I think you have always been a bit older, a bit wiser, and a bit swifter compared (laughs) to Sarah, who has no rival when it comes to pure power, but can be outmaneuvered, as you know. Well, especially when she's so hyper-focused on magical tearing people from limb to limb. (laughs) Yeah. And you use this to your advantage, Alvin, and you lead her further away from the rest of the, the group. JR and Constance. The Daylight Society are unloading on the other three members of the Cabal. And before you stand, Magdalena and Stony. As Alvin is drawn away and you approach, you see from the shifting apertures of the cathedral, figures begin to emerge. Vols believers, headsets shrouding their eyes, flowing out like insects from a hive. Yuck. You are not the only one who notices, though. Your tactician, Galvan, pauses from taking pot shots at Chamberlain, assesses the situation, and shouts over to you. We will hold them off. And on her orders, the Daylight Society take up positions around you. Pax draws two scrolls from their suit vest and unfurls them, summoning a pair of shimmering barriers that almost immediately catch a wave of cyclopean bodies. Opposite them, Dorian claps his hands together, and a swath are plunged into a spatial paradox, sprinting futilely across an impossibly great distance. Between the gaps, the earth churns and swells like an Odyssean sea, tossing believers to and fro. In the eye of the storm stand Georgiana and Mr. Blue, side by side, hands intertwined. It's not enough, though. Between the gaps, we see the believers pouring in, swarming like locusts. The first one through is leveled immediately, its headset shattered by a perfect shot from Galvan. The encroaching swarm falters as they are met with a hail of gunfire from Jasper, Kristen, Bree, and Eve. But there are too many injured and too few incapacitated. We zoom in on one, wounds closing over already as it lurches towards an unsuspecting Pax. But just before it reaches them, the camera twists 90 degrees. We see Leon's shimmering baseball bat smash their white band over its eyes. Across the battle, Cecilia incapacitates two more with a pair of defibrillator paddles, while Jenny demolishes another with her bass guitar. Through the melee, Stan flits past on his vibro skis, mopping up stragglers with a DIY power gauntlet. And all around you, this battle begins to unfold as the Daylight Society holds off false believers. Quinn, I'm getting a little, I'm getting a little verklempt at our, uh, at our crew. They grow up so fast. Y'all complained for seven arcs that they didn't do anything to help you. (laughs) (laughs) They were saving it. They were saving it. They were saving it right now. Saving it. They are fucking here. They are fucking doing work. Oh God! One solitary tear. Bass guitar to the end of the world. (laughs) That's great. I mean, why not? Okay, so I in my mind's eye, just to make sure I've got this, is the Cabal is standing in like kind of a half circle. We're basically like on the other side of this space, and our side, the Daylight Society, is basically fighting off any of the believers who are coming to attack 
the three of us. And the cabal, like, those folks are also concentrated on trying to maintain this. Right? Yeah. So it's like a series of concentric circles, basically. There's the cabal at the very center, focused and concentrated, taking... Well, they were taking sort of the slings and arrows. Now they're uh, mostly free to continue channeling this energy from Vol. Mm-hmm. Outside of that are you and and then the Daylight Society members who are holding off. Um, you are you are now surrounded at this point okay. by false believers. Okay, but they are keeping them at bay. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I yell at Chief Stony. Stony. He looks at you. Fuck Jr. What the fuck are you doing here? told you to let it lie i mean like is it gonna take your advice (laughs) you're at the end of the world are you kidding me i'm very cute stony is this what you wanted look around you is this what you envisioned is this not what what i envisioned jr but change is is messy and don't you see what he's doing to your citizens of your town those people out there those people are the people you swore to protect when you put that badge on and look what he's doing to them do you see those people do you see what is happening is that what you want an entire city full of those people an entire country full of them those aren't people they're mindless machines That's what you want? You want to protect machines? Or do you want to protect people? Messy people. We are messy. Everything's messy. But this is not the way. Is this really what you wanted? No, but they're safe, JR. They're safe. Everybody's safe. We weren't born to be safe. We were born to live our lives. And live lives that are hard. And strange. And happen in ways that we could never imagine. I don't live my life to be safe. You don't live your life to be safe. Why do you get to make that choice for these people? Who put you in charge? You didn't get to make that choice for us. Let's cut to Constance. Mm-hmm. All right. Proceed messing up all of Quinn's plans. <laughs> do your worst. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be using some big magic. That's a bold statement. Okay, uh-huh. go on. I'm yep. I'm interested. I would like to subscribe to your newsletter. Thank you. Thank you. That's one. That's one subscriber. Um, what I would like to do, I would like to use this wonderful jetpack, barrel towards my mother, and essentially, while doing this, summon the magical energy around here and the connection we have via our tattoos, slap my tattoo against hers, and transport both my mom and I to where my boonie is. What? A little time out heart to heart. What? <laughs> mm, conference call. Uh-huh. Fascinating. Fuck it. Yeah, why not? Let's let's fucking roll. Yeah. Let's, let's fucking see. get wild let's with see it. What the dice do. Yeah, let's fuck around and find out. Uh-huh. Constance, give me a roll to use magic. There are going to be wild side effects and dangers here. <laughs> and yep. no uh, you're gonna take a minus uh two. Yeah, minus two, I think, for Oof. the sheer wild difficulty of, of what you're trying to attempt. But let's find That's out. Fair. Let's play to find out what happens. Okay. Oh, Kyle is hovering over me. I want to actually see <laughs> Oh, that's... Oh, that would have been an eight, 
but it's actually a six because of the minus two. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. Well. I'm compelled to remind you, you have one point of luck. <gasps> I'm using it. I'm using it. Okay. Hell yeah. If any, it's it. End if there's game. It's any time, yeah. Yeah. Your final chapter, if there's any time to redoom Doom 2. <laughs> Doom 2, the sequel. Using your last luck point to make this work feels appropriate for <laughs> the scale of. and scope of what you're trying to do. So, Alvin, JR, you see Constance turn on her jetpack and she sails towards Magdalena, her mother. And as she does so, you see this flare build up around her, like heat waves on the horizon, that hallmark of arcane energy. Mm -hmm. And she collides with her mother, and they both wink out of sight. Oh. I'm sure she knows what she's doing. (laughs) Constance, you and Magdalena appear in the hereafter before this titanic storm of silver, the ruined gates, and your boonie. Does my mom have any reaction to landing here? Constance is entirely calm, looking at her mother, ready to start to talk, but wants to first gauge her mom's reaction. I think she's just, I I don't think she knows what has happened. I think she's speechless. I, I was holding her hand, so I let go of her hand. Well, you kind of just like crashed it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. So um, I like to envision you both went sort of like tumbling end over end that's true. and yeah. arrived at like Into a, a comedic stop right at the feet of your boonie. But <laughs> yes, uh, that's oh, I love personal that. headcanon. <laughs> uh, no, I actually, I love that. Okay. That's what happened. Okay. Constance gets up, looks at her mom, looks at her boonie, and goes, I think it's time for a little family reunion. Constance. What? What is happening, my dear? Magda? How? Your your boonie is also a bit taken aback. Mm-hmm. And I think your mother is getting her bearings and she looks at you and says, what did you do? How? If there's one thing that we should stop asking in this family, it's how did you do that? Mom, boonie, I have spent the last God knows how many nights trying to think through what it would take to fix the world that our family has broken. How I would possibly convince either of you to put down your ridiculous crusades and realize that (laughs) the world is a lot bigger than us, our families, our fears. And I realized that um, the problem with that plan, with trying to convince either of you to see things my way is that I know that I'm right and I get that sense of stubbornness from you mom and you certainly got it from your mom and while it's fun to call up the New York Times and tell them when they got a question on the crossword wrong redefining reality for everyone on earth because you think you know what the best world is Things have gone too far. So I wanted us on equal playing field. So here we are. Three women from the same family, all with our own version of what a better world looks like. And all I can say is that, and I look to my mom, I understand why you did what you did. (laughs) Our family has been dealt a really shitty hand. 
We have lived our lives in fear of monsters. Your life in particular, Mom, I didn't even know before I met Georgiana just just how much your life was shaped by the monsters in our world. Exactly. Let me finish. But that fear, that desire to build a better world, to save us and protect us from the big bad, (laughs) I don't know how to tell you this, but in trying to protect us from the monsters, you've become the worst one. Your better world there on Earth? That's my nightmare. And I'm not going to live in it. I refuse. And I recognize that the steps you took to get there mean that you refuse to live in the world that you were dealt before. I get that. And, and then I look at my boonie, I'm like, and you, how many years have you stood outside these gates out of sheer stubbornness because you think by being here and being available to me that you are somehow protecting our family too? Why do oh, you, you think- you really are breaking stuff. <laughs> <laughs> why do you think that you know what a safer world for me looks like either? I have spent my entire life idolizing you and looking up to you, and I know sometimes much to the chagrin of my own mother, but you are just like her. You two are identical. You think you know what is best and safe for me and for our family, and you are both wrong. So here is my proposition to the three of us. We can all three come together and agree on what a safer, fair Earth could look like, or only one of us walks out of here alive and gets to have their reality. I'm not going back to the world you built, Mom. It's not going to happen. And Boonie, you're not going to continue to stand out here. That's not going to happen. And then I just sit down and I wait for them to react. <laughs> you just sit down, pull out a book. More or less, yeah. I'm now sitting down, I'm lounging, I'm waiting for them to presumably start yelling at me, but... We're not going anywhere. So Constance sits down. (laughs) Alvin, back down on mundane earth, you feel, (laughs) well, the battle raging around you. (laughs) Stoney and JR locked in a shouting match, a screaming match, and Constance having just disappeared along with her mother, you feel the pressure change. That current misses a beat. And Sarah rounds on you, and for a moment, you feel a pause behind her flinty, grisly eyes. Breathe. Alvin, give me a roll plus weird. JR, give me a roll to manipulate someone. And Constance, give me a roll to manipulate someone. (laughs) Eleven. 10. I rolled an 11. Great sweep! Hey! <laughs> Alvin, you tell Sarah to breathe. And through your words, for just a moment, we feel the rotation of the earth passing from you to your sister. And that weightlessness, that moment of clarity, that runs deeper than magic 
is shared between the two of you. Her eyes, which had been dilated, shrink. The hair falls away, the claws retract, the muscles shrink. Her snout pulls in, and standing before you is Sarah. Sarah. Can always count on you, can I, big bro? JR. Stony looks at you, a tear running down the side of his face. Come on, Stony. I just wanted everyone to be safe. I wanted her to be safe. I know you did. Fuck this. And he turns points his hand towards Moriarty, and that bolt of lightning arcs out and strikes Jim. Yes! There is a wild feedback loop, and a blast of energy bursts out in every direction. Is Sterny okay? Constance. (laughs) God damn it! (laughs) Constance, your mother turns to face you. Her face carved from stone itself. Even when you realize what all of this is about, you realize that I did all of this for you so that you could have a better life, one where you didn't have to worry about the shadows and the monsters that plagued our family for years, killed your grandfather, abducted your aunt, stalked your boonie, and haunted me. Even when you realize that all of this so that you could lead a better, a freer, a safer life, you're still so ungrateful. Yes. (laughs) I also got that from you. And I look to Booney, expecting Booney to be like, after all I did for you, daughter, I slayed all those monsters so that you could live a better life. Do you see a pattern here? Dear, she's not, I mean, horribly misguided and her tactics are atrocious, but a world where you're safe, where you don't need to worry about a strigoi lurking around every corner, well, then I could be at peace. Let me tell you what I fear. I fear waking up and finding that my makeshift uncle, a kindred, can no longer function in this world and has to say goodbye to the love of his life and my aunt because this world is not safe for him. I fear one of my best friends, Alvin, cannot be his true self because the world we've put here makes him take a whole part of his identity, put it away in a box, and pretend like it doesn't exist. I fear that the thing that I truly love and enjoy, solving mysteries, saving my town, finding the big bad, sometimes befriending the big bad and realizing they weren't so bad to begin with, that that purpose I found in my life is gone. I fear for every creature that depends on magic the way that we depend on oxygen to breathe. And I fear for the person that I become and the family that I'm associated with if I say, well, it doesn't directly impact me, so it's okay. For every year that you've stood here defiantly, Boonie, I will happily stand right next to you rather than go back to that world. Your mother looks at you incredulously and says, you would rather die of stubbornness than live in a world that is safe for you? That world is not built for me. That world is built for you. For you to feel safe at the expense of everyone else, including your own family. 
If you want to go live in that world, I'll show you how to get back home. But you won't be taking me with you. Or you can hear my idea for a way that we can all feel a little better about this. But I'm not going to sit here and give you my proposal unless you're actually agreeing to build a new world with me. And I think Constance pulls out of her pocket a nail file and starts filing her nails. <laughs> nice. I did all of this for you, dear. Yeah, it's for you. If you don't want it, fine. Added to the long list of things that I have done for which I receive only scorn and mistreatment. You build whatever world you want. I would rather have it be a world where you are alive than one you refuse to be in. And I know you are that stubborn. <laughs> Constance has a, a slight smirk that creeps across her face. That's earned. Yeah. <laughs> she stands up and gives her mom a real genuine hug. Your mom does nothing. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> That's okay. You got plenty of time to repair bonds. Constance pulls away from the hug, kind of half smiling that her mom is, is so upset that she lost. Because she, she understands her mom's position. No one in this family likes to lose. And that is how they see things. And she looks at her mom. She looks at her boonie and she says, now, about this whole world building thing. And she lays out how she has been talking to Dorian. And there is a way to essentially create two worlds with a permeable border so that beings that have magical capabilities or require magic as a resource to live can have a safe space to practice that, but it does not become another peril on our world. And she looks up at her mom and her boonie and she says, I can't promise that nothing will ever go wrong, but you can't promise me that in a world without magic either. What I need from you both is to accept the life I want to lead and trust me that I know what's going to make me happy. Your mother does not say anything. She has her own nail file and she is filing <laughs> her nails. And when you're done, she says, whatever will keep you safe and healthy. And your boonie sizes you up, looks you up and down, considers what you've said, and says, This is what you truly want, dear. This is not about what I want. It's not about what your mother wants. It's your life. What do you want? I want to know definitively what I want. I want to be that sure about anything. Don't let anyone tell you that that's not worth doing. It is. Very well. This is where I have a question for you, Quinn. Sure. If we're planning to use my boonie for the seal, should we be bringing her with us at this point? It certainly would be a good time to do so. Yep. Yeah. The hereafter right now is a big maelstrom and your boonie is safe from it just because she never <laughs> never went in. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, things things are not good here. The vibe, the vibe's real bad. The vibe is <laughs> the bad. The vibe is bad. Okay. Yeah. 
So I think I link hands and tattoos with both my boonie and my mom. And then I say, beam me up, Scotty. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how I get back. (laughs) Give me a roll to use magic. I think you're the Scotty in this situation. Yeah. Does my boonie have any power here? Probably not. No. Uh, Let's see what happens. Oh, that's actually a nine. Oh, good lord. Oh, phew. <laughs> On a seven to nine, it works, but there's a glitch. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm already doomed, so I'm going to go ahead and say that the magic draws immediate unwelcome attention. Thanks, Constance. Constance, you and your mother and your boonie join hands, join tattoos, and the three of you disappear from the hereafter. We will get to your side effect in a moment. Back down on mundane Earth, inside the Paracosm, we see the aftermath of this arcane explosion. The remaining members of the Cabal are in disarray. Jorgen has been tossed wildly. Chamberlain has been knocked to the ground. Moriarty is standing, stunned. And as he's standing there, Dorian flashes a devilish grin. I know a rotten deal when I see one. (laughs) He closes the gap in a single step and seizes hold of Moriarty's outstretched hand. The circle on Jim's palm turns a bright red, and that lightning shoots out once again, whipping back and forth wildly. Moriarty looks on in horror as the eldritch energy begins to coalesce into a familiar window. We see the brilliant filaments open wider and wider, and from them emerge a regiment of living trees, bright green buds dotting their boughs. Amidst the arboreal army, you see people, too. A rough-and-tumble gunslinger, a nebbish scientist with a blaster pistol, and scores more. (laughs) Between the ranks, you hear the sound of clanging, and emerging, armor gleaming, antlers resplendent, two burning green orbs behind its visor, is the Green Knight. And at the fore of this host strides Morgana. A dress of pale green flowing from her frame. Hell yeah! And a crown of flowers resting upon her shaved head. Bitch, yeah! She steps forward and smiles knowingly at Dorian. The court of the new spring is ready for battle. <gasps> Shall we stand together this time, Kindred? Yes, queen! Yes! Yes, yes, yes! <laughs> Get the band back together! <laughs> Dorian grins and the forces of the spring court circle out, forming a bulwark as the Daylight Society retreats inward, collecting the broken and battered members of the Cabal. Pact-bound mortals twist the earth into barricades while treants wallop any of Vol's believers that make it through the line. Morgana and the Green Knight watch vigilantly from the center of the ring, ready to intervene where their strength is most needed. Constance, it is at this moment that you manifest back into this reality, and Alvin and JR, you see her standing next to her mother, and Booney. Who's that? Hey, Alvin, do you think that's... Is that the... She looks like it, a really old version of Constance. I think that's her. Constance! Is that your grandma? Yep. Did Constance die and come back again? I think Just so. now? Not yeah. dead. You sure? What's something only Constance would know? You owe me exactly 234 and a half bath bombs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's her. Yep, it's her. Yep. That's really high. Are you really? Shh. 
I get very stressed out, okay? Okay, okay. No, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> it's an honor to meet you, Ms. Booney. <laughs> As you all are shouting, you are interrupted by a Ooh. booming voice Uh-oh. that emanates from every point around you all at once. There are always those that would stand in the way of progress. You can tilt at the windmills all you like, but you can't stop the future. You can't stop me. As the echoes in your eardrums slowly abate, you see that painfully brilliant point of light descending from the sky until it comes to rest just above the fray. Floating effortlessly before you is Augie Vall. Or the semblance of him, at least. The headset is there, pristine and white, a mane of silvery wires trailing away from it, but the rest of him is almost unrecognizable. His body is covered in chaotic fractal patterns that seethe in a state of anarchic flux. The surface of his shape is no longer solid, but rather evanesces like phosphorescent mist, sublimating and condensing into latent magical energy that suffuses this space. Around him, reality itself seems to bend and twist, rippling like heat waves on the horizon. And as he comes to rest above you, he raises both hands, and the space around you begins to change. 